Good afternoon and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Cinco de Mayo, May the 5th, 2021. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I am here with my favorite co-host of all time, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm just celebrating May the 4th with a little Yub Nub song. Well, just be careful of Revenge of the Sixth. So we will jump right into today's stories, which are very much focused on some of the cool things that are going on this week, including Dell Technologies World. Um, but Dell did have a big announcement that they are dumping off another part of their big empire. Um, the sell-off of accumulated assets continues because Dell is announcing that they are going to get rid of integration company Boomi to a private equity firm for just around $4 billion. Now, if you ask people on the street, they know exactly what's up. Dell needs cash and they're trying to get it any way that they can. Uh, now, the funny thing is, is that Boomi was acquired essentially to integrate disparate services together and offer a unified platform for management and operations, which sounds like the kind of thing that a company that was on a buying spree of a whole bunch of different technologies really would be interested in. Um, but there's a private equity firm group out there that is really interested in what Boomi can offer and they were willing to part with some cash to make sure that that happens. Um, Dell really does need to pay down some of this Mount Everest sized debt, given all of the things that have been going on and the fact that that bill is going to come due sooner rather than later. Stephen, what are your thoughts around this? Well, I think somewhere in an alternate universe, we're hearing about a bidding war for a hot integration company called Boomi. One of the vendors that are bidding on this is Dell, who continues to own VMware and still has plenty of cash. Now, seriously, this is a kind of a weird situation where they're basically offloading an asset that they probably bought pretty low 11 years ago that has done pretty well and that is honestly a pretty good fit for the market these days. But that being said, Dell really hadn't integrated Boomi all that well into their other offerings. So I'm not shocked that you know this uh, asset was something that they could offload. Frankly, um, you know it had operated somewhat as a standalone company. It's in a space that is a little bit distinct from what Dell Technologies is, especially now that they've um, sort of spun off VMware. So I think it's a, not a bad idea to spin it off and let it fly, especially seeing what happened with uh, MuleSoft, which, uh, as you may remember, uh, was recently acquired by Salesforce for $6.5 billion. So I think that the private equity firms basically see that this is an asset that they can buy for $4 billion and spin back out for five, six, seven billion billion in a couple of years, and everybody's happy. So really um, not much to see here, except business as usual for Michael Dell. Tom, uh, we've been talking on this program for a long time about some old friends, uh, AOL and Yahoo. Well, Verizon finally signed out of AOL. The news broke that the telecom giant is selling off AOL and Yahoo to Apollo Global Management, yes, a private equity firm, for about $5 billion. Uh, that's a big loss considering that the company paid four and a half billion for AOL in 2015 and four and a half billion for Yahoo in 2017. Uh, Verizon's attempts to turn around the titanic internet giants, uh, maybe we should call them brontosauruses, uh, failed in the face of rivals like Facebook and Google. And um, 
frankly, they couldn't really find a better buyer for the division. Uh, interest came in uh, for different bits and components, but Horizon really wanted out of the entire business and managed to spin it out. Uh, what do you think on this one, Tom? I couldn't help but put this story in the rundown because this is basically the, the equivalent of the man bites dog story when you consider that AOL once upon a time paid $182 billion to buy Time Warner. And at one point, posted a $57 billion quarterly loss when the dot-com bust happened. And today we write this sad little postscript that AOL goes to a private equity chop shop to um, be parceled out in bits and pieces for what, $5 billion? Which, hey, $5 billion is a lot to me, but compared to what they were worth at one point in time, really is just pocket change. Um, I, I also like the fact that there were a lot of people that were really interested in individual pieces of what was it called Verizon Media Group or something like that, whatever they, they wanted to call it. Um, but Verizon's like, nope, 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 you got to take everything if you want it. So private equity makes the most sense because what they're going to do is then take it out and parcel the pieces out to the people who wanted to buy them in the first place and will probably turn a profit. And then we will relegate AOL to the same part of the history books as we find, I don't know, Wang computers or the eight track cassette tape player. So happy trails to AOL. Um, it was nice to know you and hopefully we'll get mail again soon. Uh, on a slightly happier note, Stephen, Intel has decided that they are going to invest in their future uh, to the tune of about three and a half billion dollars or uh, what 75% of an AOL purchase into their Rio Rancho, New Mexico foundry. Um, this move is designed to build up their new uh, Foveros technology that Intel is touting as a, a better way to build their microprocessor architectures. Now, you probably remember that a lot of these announcements came when Pat Gelsinger came on board and started having some discussions in late March around IDM 2.0. And that also was coupled with the announcement that Intel was going to start doing foundry for hire for companies to build their microprocessors in Intel chipset factories. This looks like a move to kind of bolster that technology so that Intel can not only develop some new stuff for themselves, but also offer that for sale to other companies that are looking to, um, you know, maybe not use TSMC or some of the other giant chip manufacturers. Um, Steven, is this Pat Gelsinger being good on his word or is there something else going on here? This is Pat being Pat, baby. Um, we uh, see that he is rapidly moving to address the problems that Intel has. And uh, some of those problems relate to manufacturing. So Intel is willing to put its money where its mouth is and do something good. Um, I think this also kind of links to the story we were talking about a few weeks ago about uh, investing in semi-manufacturing here in the United States. And this also links to another story that we've talked about. Now, you'll remember uh, a couple or last month, and actually a couple months ago now, um, we broke the story about Micron exiting the 3D NAND business and putting its Lehigh uh, facility, uh, Utah facility up for sale. Uh, there was some speculation then about what would happen with that facility and whether Intel would buy it and continue to produce 3D Crosspoint there or whether they would equip a different fab for production of 3D Crosspoint. Um, this uh, move, I think, bolsters the latter conclusion. Essentially that uh, Intel is much more likely to be investing in their uh, 
facilities in New Mexico and not in the Lehigh, Utah facility as some had suspected. I think that what we're likely to see is that we, they will then later announce another big investment that will allow them to produce 3D Crosspoint in the Rio Rancho, New Mexico facility, uh, because it just kind of makes sense to have that kind of manufacturing together. Um, one more thing I'd like to mention is this Foveros technology that they're talking about. This is basically an answer to AMD's chiplets. Uh, if you recall, one of the reasons AMD has so many cores in their Epic uh, server CPU line is because it's not just one chip. It's actually multiple chips on one uh, device, one part. Uh, Intel had been shy of doing that. But uh, Foveros is sort of a different approach that lets them do uh, essentially the same thing, to have multiple packages on a single chip package. Uh, and I think that that's what we're going to see going forward. So essentially, there's, there's no news here, except that this is a sign of what Intel is doing next with their server CPU platform that they're going to announce probably next year. Um, as well as with uh, 3D Crosspoint and American manufacturing. All of this is Intel doing Intel, and I say right on, boys, right on. Tom, uh, other news this week, it's like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, Spectre. <laughs> researchers, researchers have discovered yet another way to exploit Spectre in Intel and AMD, effectively disabling all the fixes that uh, have been applied up to now. The report suggests that uh, you can read a small on-chip buffer that caches simple commands that are derived from the complex instructions in the CPUs. These micro-op registers are vulnerable to side-channel attacks too, and could allow attackers to read sensitive information before the execution pipeline. Yep, that's right. So much for that mitigation. Uh, what does this mean for the chips, Tom? It means that Intel and AMD really need to get off of their butts and fix the problem instead of trying to patch over it and claim that they can get everybody back to 85% of the performance that they used to have without turning all of the speculative instruction stuff off. Um, it reminds me of the in-laws or the house guests that just don't want to leave and you keep trying to find reasons to get them out and they keep trying to find ways to stay. Well, it's all going to come to a head sooner or later. And this is what we're seeing. Intel and AMD have both realized that if they turn off speculative instruction, performance craters. And when you basically sold yourself as the best performing solution on the market for so long, that's not gonna fly with customers. Okay, well, we'll try to work around it. And every time you patch one piece, someone goes out and finds another one. What makes this particular vulnerability so interesting is that they're getting to it before the pipeline gets loaded. They're pulling the data out of cache and they're doing some wacky stuff. If you want to read the article that we link in the show notes, they're talking about reading voltage settings on these chips through these caches to be able to infer what kind of data there is. I need, we need to get these guys building quantum computers because they are doing some massively crazy work with electricity. But the long and short of it is, is that they're being exposed and Intel and AMD really have to understand that this is not a little bug. This is not, oops, I accidentally posted someone's social security number in the clear. Um, this is a functional architectural, mm, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, disaster that needs to be re-architected from the ground up. And I know that these are things that take time and I know that these are things that take a lot of investment but if you haven't already started the process and you're not ready to wean everybody off of speculative execution, this is just going to get worse before it gets better and it won't be better for you at all.
All right, Stephen, we got some stories that we wanted to do a deeper dive into here uh, based on some of the cool stuff coming on out in the industry. And the first one is right up your alley because it's all about storage. So we got a couple of announcements about storage as a service. Um, the first comes from our friends over at HPE. Uh, they have announced that they're going to be uh, refreshing their Green Lake storage as a service offering this week to build what they're calling an edge to cloud platform as a service offering. The package includes Data Services Cloud Console, which is a new management technology that's built on the technology behind Aruba Central. That's the platform that they're using to manage networking and wireless offerings. Uh, there's also news about Electra, which is a cloud native piece of NVMe hardware. It's actually two completely different boxes uh, that combine technology from Nimble Storage and from Primera that pulls settings from the cloud to offer high-speed edge storage. Now, uh, our friend Bart Huygens over uh, on his blog covered some of these great announcements that just came out, but also of importance is the fact that it's Dell Technologies world, as we mentioned at the top of the show, and guess who else is getting into storage as a service? That's right, the Michael Dell Computer Manufacturing and a whole bunch of other things company is going to be offering something they're calling Apex. Now, their solution is positioned to offer file and block storage as a service, and they're going to be uh, hoping to pick up some new customers because one of the things that they're offering that HPE doesn't is hyperconverged infrastructure support. So Dell said that Apex was an outcomes-based approach, which is a fancy way of saying, we're not going to sell you a very specific SKU or piece of hardware. We're going to sell you something that meets your requirements and then probably not tell you what it is because we need to move some boxes. Um, Stephen, these are really big stories regarding storage as a service, which is something that a lot of customers have been making hay about recently. What are you thinking with regards to the new GreenLake offering that is encompassing some Aruba technology and some brand new um, nimble storage NVMe technology versus Dell's Apex, which is let's see how many of these boxes we can move out the door right now. And oh, by the way, if you want to run hyperconverged infrastructure, which is who we've been competing against with Nutanix, we support that too. Yeah, I, honest, honestly, looking at these two stories, you would think that these are basically uh, two industry gorillas saying the same thing at the same time, uh, but they're actually quite a bit different. So let's take the HPE side of things first. So the HPE Data Services Cloud Console, as you mentioned, is sort of a synthesis of a lot of the products and technologies that HPE has acquired over the years. And frankly, these are pretty good products. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Aruba Central, but um, you know, uh, Nimble's InfoSight, uh, I've long said, was the reason that HPE bought Nimble, not the storage array. And the uh, bringing all this stuff together into a unified cloud console, I think is something that the enterprise really wants to see. Of course, they wanna see it work. And um, HPE should be commended for the work that they've been doing in making that happen. As you mentioned, they've got GreenLake, which is their uh, infrastructure as a service is offering, essentially uh, rent versus buy for infrastructure. Uh, then GreenLake is available for literally everything in the HPE catalog, or at least that's what they're promising. Now they've got a great uh, cloud console that lets uh, operations uh, and IT management monitor and um, you know, uh, manage, uh, can configure um, more and more of their hardware from a single pane of glass. I know, I know. 
uh, honestly, this is all good stuff. And I am pretty impressed with the data services cloud console, at least at first blush. Uh, then we have to look quickly over on the Dell side. So let's jump over there and see what Dell announced. So uh, Dell uh, talked about Apex earlier. This is essentially a storage as a service offering uh, that's much less comprehensive than the HPE GreenLake or the um, data services cloud console over on the HPE side. Effectively, this is a cloud uh, service offering and it lets you deploy uh, as a service in your data center. It looks pretty good. Um, I'm imagining that uh, Dell customers will enjoy it and think that it's a positive step forward. And of course, like GreenLake, it allows you to buy uh, Dell Technologies equipment as a service instead of uh, as a, a CapEx uh, purchase. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, Apex, I think, to me, Apex looks a little more doable and a little less dreamy. Essentially, this is sort of Dell saying, okay, you want the stuff? Yeah, we got that. We put it together. We made a thing. You can use the thing. You can get the stuff there. Use it. Uh, whereas HPE um, is more strategic, is more saying, you know, let's take a look at how infrastructure is done as a in a modern uh, hybrid cloud or enterprise cloud or you know whatever you're going to call that other thing that's not cloud cloud but is sort of enterprise cloud Let, let's see how, how how you can do stuff there and uh, let's see if we can bring together all this technology so i'm going to give both of them a point but maybe i give an extra point to hpe for the more strategic approach that they're taking now, another aspect to this story that I think is worth looking at is the Electra or Elytra or whatever they're calling it, um, storage systems. Um, HPE has a historic challenge integrating um, hardware acquisitions and um, providing a path forward. And this is not a ding on HPE. HP and HPE uh, acquired a ton of different products. And for the longest time, HP's catalog, the old HP, was littered with, um, you know, sort of zombie products that they had bought years and years ago that were sort of just stumbling forward. Um, and they had, you know, com competition internally and everything. Well, uh, obviously they know that's not good. And obviously they're trying to unify the things and they're trying to do it through software. And again, HPE deserves a lot of credit for these Elytra or Elytra systems. Effectively, we now are down to kind of two storage platforms. We have the 6000, which is the artist formerly known as Nimble. And we have the 9000, which is the artist formerly known as Primera or everything else HPE developed internally until Nimble. And so the, the two products are, um, you know, getting closer and closer together. But if you look under the hood, you can obviously see that the 6000 is all Nimble DNA, the 9000 is all Primera DNA. Uh, but that being said, this unified management really helps put these products together. There is a little bit better positioning in terms of which product is which. I really need to spend some more time looking through the catalog to see exactly what became of some of the H, uh, HPE's other storage products. But generally speaking, uh, the trajectory is a good one. So again, let's give HPE some credit here for uh, unifying a moderately confusing product line under this uh, Electra banner. Now, Tom, I really do want to ask you, though, to chime in here, especially on the Aruba uh, aspect of this, because I think some of the people who know me in storage may not be aware 
of the Aruba cloud in Aruba Central? Well, it's uh, that was what I was going to add on here that Aruba Central very much is a platform that is built to manage these kinds of solutions that are edge centric, that are um, very, you know, manageable is maybe not the right word, but they're, they're disparate systems that are designed to be integrated to accomplish a single goal. When you think about something like a, an access point, I don't want to manage one. I want to manage a group of them together and I want to put things down on them. So being able to do this across a fleet of storage arrays and things like that, or, you know, basically what GreenLake is trying to put together, which is, you know, this rack does this, that rack does that. It's great. And Aruba really has been building a massive amount of intelligence into Central recently. Central is essentially their, their product. Everything else that they sell supports what Central offers. And when you look at some of the things that they're doing with AI and ML at the edge that was announced last year at Aruba Atmosphere um, and continued this year at Aruba Atmosphere as well, you're seeing that they understand the importance of letting the software drive things. Now, where I'm going to be fascinated to see where this comes up is when a company uh, decides to kind of take the best of all worlds and put into their offering. Because as you mentioned, one of the key pieces of Nimble Storage's software for years was InfoSight. Um, you know, I, I come from a networking background where we're just learning that analytics is, is, a, is a big thing. Um, not just using SNMP to monitor things, but Nimble's been over here for years going, yeah, InfoSight will tell us everything we want to know and give us predictive failure on everything. Integrating that piece into Central through this acquisition, not acquisition, through this integration is going to be massive, not just for the GreenLake software as a service and Electra, but also for Aruba customers who are wanting that better analytic uh, platform. All of those uh, pieces that will go to make the AI at the edge a better solution and honestly should position central really well against some of Aruba's competitors in that space. Yeah, I uh, do want to remind the folks who aren't as familiar with storage that InfoSight, well, honestly, it was a great, great piece of technology that just happened to be applied to storage. And it sort of preceded all of these enterprise um, ML assisted operations and, and analytics products that we're seeing just all over the place. So again, uh, that was a pretty good acquisition for HPE. And I am so, so glad that that technology is getting this uh, breath of fresh air uh, broader than storage. So let's shift gears here, Tom, and talk about one of your favorite topics, uh, security. Now, many of us have heard the uh, SASE uh, marketing term, S-A-S-E, uh, and maybe thought that it was just uh, some more hype, but you know, the market is responding to this thing now. SD-WAN as a service vendor, Aryaka announced this week that they'll be buying a German cloud security company known as SecuCloud. The pickup uh, gives Aryaka a native way to offer SASE security to customers without the need to rely on partners. Um, the Aryaka model lends itself well to this technology uh, with their point of presence on ramps, providing a perfect location for traffic analysis and control. Aryaka says that they'll continue to offer their partnerships with Checkpoint, Palo Alto, and Zscaler. But, uh, you know, one has to wonder if maybe they're going to be going their own direction here. Tom, what do you think? Well, Ariok has always been a company that has done things a little bit differently. When you look at the push for people who were doing SD-WAN originally, it was all around getting boxes to branch offices 
and trying to get things connected through broadband circuits and maybe MPLS if we had to. And now look where all of those companies have ended up. Tele went to Cisco, Palo Cloud went to VMware, Cloudgenix went to Palo Alto Networks. And now we're just focused on the people who are doing it as a service. And we're, we're dealing with the next generation of SD-WAN and security integration. Well, Ariaka kind of sits in that middle. They're one of the last companies left that wasn't already doing all of this stuff, but they were pioneering the idea of offering this kind of private network as a service. Um, and that's one of the things that's always set them apart. You know, you, you're not buying a box with them. You're buying an operations expense that allows you to route packets, whether they're going to the cloud or to an office in Poughkeepsie. And Ariaka manages all of that for you, which is nice when you don't have the expertise on site and on staff to deal with it. But when everyone starts rattling the sassy saber about, well, what are you going to offer me these products? Um, you know, the first goal is just get something in the book. We don't care. So we're going to partner with all the people who do it the best, which would be in this case, Palo Alto and Zscaler and even uh, Checkpoint. And the integration that they were doing with Checkpoint that was announced last year was a big deal. I believe it was a Ariaka private cloud service, something like that. Um, but I think that Sasha Kiran and Dave Ginsburg are not idiots. And they realized that they needed to offer something in-house. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Second Cloud gives them the, the capability to offer all, well, not all, but most of the services that their customers would be very interested in utilizing in-house. And when I say in-house, I mean in their network, because everything stays in the house at Ariaka until it exits that point of presence. But their, uh, their aggregation routers, you know, think of them as on-ramp routers. Um, that's a great place to put these services. You want to do traffic analysis to make sure that people aren't violating some kind of internet usage policy or uh, figure out how to do, um, you know, direct internet access and split your Netflix traffic off from the stuff that really, really needs to go to the cloud for business critical apps. Well, Ariac has got you covered. The only thing that they're missing in this entire thing is a cloud access services broker. And we like to call those CASBs for reasons I still can't figure out. Um, they're still going to partner on the CASB route because they don't have a good solution right now. And quite honestly, most of the best solutions are done. That's the only thing that company makes. I, I talked to a company last year at RSA, BitGlass, that does a really good CASB. Um, in fact, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see BitGlass get snapped up by somebody sooner rather than later to bring that, in, that expertise in-house. Um, I don't think it's going to be Ariaka. Uh, BitGlass is going to go for way too much money. But I think ultimately what you're going to see is you're going to see this consolidation around this because, yeah, it's absolutely great that I can offer this solution to a company. You know, I'm, I'm going to offer you Ariaka and then, oh, hey, if you need this other thing, we'll use Palo Alto Prisma. Well, Palo Alto is a competitor in that space, too, because of their Cloudgenics acquisition uh, was, yeah, was last year. Um, so ultimately, what does that mean? Well, it means you either develop your own technology to take care of this. Or you're going to find yourself on the outs when all of your partners have a better dance partner that they're going to go offer up to clients and suddenly you're sit there with your hands in the air wondering what happened. So I like this move. I think that this is going to pay off handsomely for Ariaka. And we used to, we used to talk about cloud vendors or SD-WAN vendors. Who are the biggest ones out there that haven't been bought yet? Um, I think with this move, Ariaka essentially puts themselves out of acquisition range for the foreseeable future. Um, they're 
too big with too much of a robust offering to be a delectable target to a company that doesn't already have an SD-WAN solution. And I think that this means that they're going to be able to build out their business, continue to offer great solutions to companies, hopefully with the intent of kind of growing that side of the business as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Tom, to see how Ariaka rocks the CASB in the future. Uh, I think this is a trend, uh, though, in, um, you know, from SD-WAN and beyond. Um, as we've learned uh, with the pandemic, especially, um, you know, the data center is no longer just the data center. It's no longer an eggshell. And, uh, you know, companies need a lot more flexibility in terms of every component that they're deploying, whether it's storage and servers or virtualization and applications, or yes, networking. And I think that it's been really interesting to watch what's happened in the SD-WAN space, especially when one considers the challenges of security. So this does seem to be a very good uh, purchase for Ariaka, but also, of course, it shows us the direction forward uh, as uh, other companies are looking to first partner and then, uh, you know, marry one of the uh, one of the companies in the space. Yeah, I would totally agree. You know, fingers crossed that this works out well for them. But I think that this is more of a risk than a gamble. Um, I think it will pay off. All right, Stephen. Um, IBM has been on a buying spree recently, and they reaffirmed that last week when they picked up one of our favorite Tech Field Day presenters, Turbonomic. Um, that's because they really need some help with application visibility and management in their cloud services offering. Now, this deal would see the Boston-based Turbonomic head over to IBM Cloud Pack for Watson AI Ops. Um, the other thing is Turbonomic did have some network monitoring pieces of that platform, and I think IBM is going to be positioning those to help uh, carriers and telecom providers who are getting on the 5G bandwagon offer you know, enhanced application performance. Um, this was an interesting move from IBM because I hadn't heard that they were looking for this capability, and I hadn't heard that Turbonomic was ready to jump into Big Blue's um, data center. But I mean, it looks on the surface to be a good fit. But Stephen, you're a little closer to this than a lot of other people with, through our work at Tech Field Day from what we've seen from Turbonomic, formerly VM Turbo in the past. Do you think that this is a good move for IBM? Um you know, I'm not sure uh, it could be. Uh, this actually ties a little bit into the story that we were talking about before with Dell and HPE and InfoSight and all that stuff. I mean, uh, so, so VM Turbo was a company that was kind of doing a very simple thing. It was applying economics to decide how resources should be allocated. That was years and years and years ago when they presented at some of the early Tech Field Day events um, you know, oh, many decades, no, about a decade ago. Um, but uh, they pivoted and they pivoted hard. Uh, it became Turbonomic and they embraced this whole world of AI ops and uh, using machine learning and artificial intelligence to uh, enhance the things that they were doing previously using, uh, like I said, simple uh, heuristics. Now, uh, Turbonomic has grown quite a lot. They've taken in a number of different funding rounds. Uh, they've got a bunch of investors and they proved that they were a viable and growing concern in this new world of IT operations. And rather than being left on the side of the highway, like some of the other companies that they uh, were competing with at the time or being acquired when they were little, 
they waited until they were a pretty big company to be acquired. Uh, this looks from the Turbonomic perspective to be a, not just a, a home run, but maybe a grand slam. Um, you know, by my reckoning, Turbonomic took in about $150 million of investment and just turned it into a $2 billion acquisition. That's pretty good. Uh, now, obviously, the company, um, you know, lasted for quite a while uh, out there, but, uh, you know, I applaud the investors for letting them grow it into a, a viable and growing and, and, and allowing them to pivot and allowing them to kind of prove themselves in the AI ops model so that they could uh, be attractive for IBM. The challenge, of course, is IBM. Uh, what is IBM going to be able to do with this technology now that they've got it? Will this be a situation like we saw with Aruba and Infosight at HPE, where the big, big company is able to embrace and grow the technology and move it into other areas and, and create something that's really valuable? Or will this be like so many of the other acquisitions we've seen where you know, a shiny object is acquired, it's not uh, integrated, it's not developed, it's not improved, and then it just kind of goes on from there. Uh, I am wondering that uh, it, what exactly is going to happen with this thing, and I can't predict it. But that being said, I think this was a good choice of an acquisition. If IBM had a spare couple billion dollars under the mattress, why not spend it on Turbonomic? At least it's, uh, you know, a forward-thinking product and a product that I think that they could integrate in the future. What do you think, Tom? You know, I, it's funny that if you'd have said this to me, I don't know, 20 years ago, is IBM going to be able to do anything with this? My answer would have flat out been no, because Tom Watson's IBM does not work that way. We develop everything that we build, and we're going to use the things that we build, and if other people want to come in and tell us how to build stuff, that's great, but we're still going to do it our way. But this is not Tom Watson's IBM, as I am very fond of saying. Um, and even today, I don't even know that calling it IBM is really fair when you realize that a lot of the DNA that's that's making these decisions right now is the Red Hat acquisition. And that in and of itself was a massive piece of the puzzle. I think that this is Red Hat realizing that they need some kind of intelligence to bolster this cloud offering, to be able to provide good analytics, to be able to provide the kinds of um, you know, information that customers need to be able to intelligently plan their cloud deployments. And if you can't build it because you don't have the talent to do it anymore, you've got to go buy it. And you're right, from a Turbonomic perspective, this was bases loaded, bottom of the ninth grand slam, not because they were running out of time, but this was the hero moment. We did it. We pulled this off. We took this and made it work. I'm excited for the people at Turbonomic. I'm hopeful for the people at IBM slash Red Hat that can turn this into something big that will give Watson more footing to stand on, to give IBM Cloud a clear lead over everybody else. And yes, I hope that includes Oracle, but at the end of the day, it's up to the customers to decide if adding Turbonomic to the existing offering was worth enough. Now, as far as the networking pieces, Okay, that to me feels an awful lot like the existing, you know, IBM, let's just take a piece of this and try to sell it to whoever wants to buy it for as long as it takes to recoup the investment on it, and then we can jettison it. I don't think people who are doing 5G networking are going to be thinking IBM when they think about this. I think that this might be something that people who are doing other stuff who are looking to deploy 5G possibly would be excited to find this feature as a checkbox on their Watson dashboard. But I don't think people are going to rush to IBM to buy this particular piece. So I think that this acquisition stays firmly rooted in cloud. 
stays firmly rooted in application analytics. And, you know, if that's where your strength is, play to your strength, whether you're Turbonomic, IBM, Red Hat, or someone else. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. We want to thank you very much for tuning in. We're always excited to talk to you every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time um, with our episodes. Um, Stephen, what have you got going on this week that people should be aware of? Well, I would encourage people to check out the Utilizing AI podcast every Tuesday, along with the uh, Gestalt IT roundtable that we publish every Tuesday as well. Um, I am currently working uh, on our next AI event. So the AI field day is coming up at the end of the month, uh, and we're really excited with the companies that we've got. If all this talk about AI ops and applying machine learning to uh, management and AI at the edge and all this stuff, if that's got you excited, well, maybe uh, check out the AI Field Day event. So just go to techfieldday.com and click on AI Field Day and you can learn uh, more about this event that's gonna have a lot of great signature companies there. Uh, how about you, Tom? What are you working on? I think you've got something coming up here. I do. I actually have something coming up next week. You don't wanna miss Networking Field Day. We've got a great lineup of presenters, um, including some of our friends and favorites uh, from the past, companies like Juniper, Kemp, Aruba, who we mentioned today, and uh, some more. If you want to head over to the website, techfieldday.com, click on the link for Networking Field Day 25. You'll see a lineup of delegates and presenters. I'm also working on another great episode of Conversations, which you'll be seeing next week. Um, it's a busy time of year, um, but that is good because that means that there's a lot of companies out there that are interested in sharing their technology. There's a lot of people out there interested in learning about it, just like each and every one of you who tune in every week to catch the rundown. Remember that if you did miss any episodes of The Rundown or you just want to find out what kind of interesting fun facts about the day that we share, you can head over to youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo and see all of our pre previous episodes of The Rundown. You can also check out conversations, check some uh, unboxing videos, uh, or some of our showcase and spotlight podcasts, as well as the on-premise IT roundtable. Um, we are creating as much media as you can possibly consume in a given week. So we appreciate you tuning in and being a part of our fun little corner of the internet. Uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off today, but we will be back next week, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, with more great news stories that we'll run down for you. But for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Mr. Stephen Foska, and the rest of Gestalt IT, have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.